following sermon was recorded live at Foundation Church of Fredericksburg in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia. I will be bringing the word this morning to you guys. I think um, I think we got enough Latinos in here so that we can. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So the, <laughs> if I drop a Spanish word here and there, uh, <laughs> there we go. Uh, go ahead and turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12. Um, and when you get there, give me a good amen. <laughs> All right, let's pray real quick. Dear Father, come before you, Lord, with your people. Lord, man shall not live on bread alone but by every word that comes out of your mouth. So I ask God now that you feed us as exiles here. I pray that you feed your people and you strengthen us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's read. First uh, Peter chapter 4, verse 12 through 19. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes to you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when the glory, when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, or a thief, or an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. God's word. Throughout the history of the church, Christians have endured much suffering for the name of Jesus. Many have been ostracized, mocked, slandered, and many even killed. Take, for instance, Stephen, a deacon who around 36 AD was martyred for preaching the gospel. The Bible says that while he was being stoned to death, he looked up to the heavens and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. In 68 AD, the apostle Peter, who writes this letter, will suffer death as well for the name of Christ. Peter is crucified upside down for his faith at the hand of Emperor Nero. In 165 AD, Justin Martyr was arrested and beheaded for his faith. In the year 1521, Luther was excommunicated and deemed a heretic from the Catholic Church for preaching that salvation was only gained through faith alone in Christ. Luther was summoned and tried as an outlaw at the Imperial Diet of Worms 
At his trial, they laid books in front of him, the books that he written, and he was asked to recant. This is where he famously responded, I cannot and I will not recant anything, for it is dangerous and a threat to salvation to act against one's conscience. Here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. There's so many Christians who suffered for the name of Jesus throughout history. There's also many Christians now, today, who are suffering for their faith. According to Open Doors, a national, international nonprofit organization that advocates for persecuted Christians around the world, they state that 340 million Christians are living in places where they may experience high levels of persecution and discrimination for the name of Jesus. Although in America, it's well known for its freedom of religion, here in the States, we're not free completely from being ostracized and mocked for our faith. We are the butt of jokes on TV shows. We are laughed at when we proclaim our faith in college campuses. If you truly are a Christian, and are devoted to living as one, you will face some sort of suffering for being a Christian. Whether it comes from family, co-workers, friends, or society in general. In this book that we're in, Peter is writing to Christians who are described as exiles. We are outsiders in this world. Just as Jesus was not from this world and was from another kingdom, those who are born again, they too are not from this world, but instead are a part of a, the kingdom of heaven. Because this world hated Jesus, it is also promised to us, to some extent, the world will also hate us. The Christian in this life and in this world will at some point experience some sort of spiritual xenophobia, since our kingdom is not from here. So how can we persevere during suffering? In our passage this morning, Peter addresses the suffering that we will face for the sake of Christ, and he equips us to endure it. If you're taking notes, the main idea for our passage this morning is because God is sovereign over our suffering, Christians can glorify God in the midst of suffering by entrusting themselves to him as a faithful creator. Say that one more time. Because God is sovereign over our sufferings, Christians can glorify God in the midst of suffering by entrusting themselves to him as a faithful creator. Why do we need to be equipped to glorify God amidst suffering? Because it is amidst suffering that Christians are tempted to doubt God's faithfulness. My three points for the sermon this morning will be, number one, Rejoicing in the glory of God and suffering. Two, submitting to the purposes of God and suffering. And finally, three, entrusting ourselves to a faithful creator. Let's look at our first point. Rejoicing in the glory of God and suffering. As we begin to understand this portion of Peter's letter, we first in, are introduced to... Uh, warning or an encouragement to not be surprised at the fiery trials. Therefore, I think it's important for us to understand what the fiery trial is. Our passage starts out 
with the proposition, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trials. The fiery trials here in the book of Peter and in the book of James and throughout uh, the New Testament as the apostles are addressing trials, uh, the fiery trial is are that which we experience for bearing the name of Jesus and the pathway of obedience and allegiance to him. They are the adverse effects that we experience for the sake of Jesus. The fiery trials are that which we experience for bearing the name of Jesus and the pathway of obedience and allegiance to him. Let's look at the fiery trials. Number one, they vary in kind. This could be the loss of a job because you refuse to partake in an unethical company practice. A friendship or a family member lost due to Christian beliefs or practices, or even the weird look you get when you mention to someone that you're a Christian. Regardless of the adverse effect that you experience on this side of heaven, you can be sure that you will experience some sort of fiery trials. James in chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, reminds us that we are to count it all joy when we experience trials of various kinds. The trial that we experience in different seasons of life will vary, but they are always to be expected. The fiery trials are inevitable. That's why we are told to not be surprised in verse 12a. Why are we shocked when trials come our way? Why are we surprised by suffering? Did not Jesus tell us in chapter 15, verse 20 of the book of the Gospel of John, remember that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So why are we surprised? Because we don't like to suffer. No one likes to be rejected. No one likes to be mocked. No one likes to be despised. But it is something that we sign up for when we decide to follow Jesus. This is something that Christians should be prepared to endure if they want to follow the Lord. If this world hated Jesus, they will also hate us too. Although the fiery trial will come at the hand of people, it does not happen outside the will of a sovereign God. God uses what people mean for evil for our good. The fiery trials is inevitable because we have a God who loves us too much to not refine and purify our faith. And he will use the fire of persecution to do that. What do the fiery trials do? In 12b it says, when it comes upon you to test you. You see, the suffering that we experience really tests where our faith is placed in. This test is not a pass or fail test like you would in an exam. This test is of a different kind. It is meant to reveal the quality of our faith. Is your faith weak or is it strong? Is it mature or immature? Are you quick to abandon your Lord or do you endure? But not only is the quality of our faith tested, but also where your faith is placed in. Is it placed in something other than Jesus and his complete work? Is our hope more in the things in this life 
like a promotion, well-behaved children, a nice house, a career. See, this testing reveals to us the idols of our hearts and the things that we treasure. Many people have walked away from the faith because when many of those things were threatened, they fell away. Take a look at Mark 4, verse 16 through 17, where God is, uh, Jesus is teaching us about the seed thrown on various kinds of ground. And on this particular ground, we see that the seed is thrown on rocky <coughs> on rocky ground. Mark 4, verse 16 through 17. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they heard the word, immediately received it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is a blessing from our Lord. He will not allow us to be self-deceived. He will reveal to us the idols that are in the most secret parts of our hearts. And he uses the fiery trials to do so. See, God already knows where, whether we have genuine faith or not. He knows if our faith is at times misguided. He already knows the quality and the placement of our faith. He loves us so much that he uses suffering to expose those things to us. And not only merely to reveal to us the quality and placement of our faith. The testing involves a refining process to perfect our faith. As we see in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, he is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He uses trials and sufferings to make our faith perfect until the day that we see him face to face. Another thing that the fiery trials do is they bless us. Verse 14, it says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. God and his grace does not allow us to face suffering alone. He blesses us with the special fullness of the Holy Spirit to endure in our suffering. When we read that we are blessed because of the spirit of glory and of God rests upon us, this is the same messianic language that is used for Jesus when we read Isaiah 42.1. Behold, your servant whom I uphold, my chosen, is whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. Again, we see in Isaiah 11, verse 1 through 2, there shall come forth a shoot, from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots and he shall bear fruit and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord there we are promised that our coming Messiah will have the spirit of God rest upon him and here Peter extends the messianic blessing onto those who bear the name of the Messiah. When Christians face suffering in the name of Jesus, there is a special fullness of the Holy Spirit that is upon us to endure such trials. Jesus, in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5.11, says, Blessed are you when people insult you, 
persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you, so they shall persecute you. Jesus tells us in Matthew 5.11 that we are blessed to encounter suffering and persecution for his name's sake. Because the Spirit rested upon Jesus, it will also rest upon us in our moment of suffering so that we can endure. God equips his church and his people with the Spirit of glory and of God to persevere in suffering. We have seen what the fiery trial is and how they vary in kind. We have seen how they are inevitable and they are used to test us and the blessing we receive in the midst of them. Now let's see what should be our response in the fiery trials. Our response in suffering should be in spirit-empowered spirit praise and obedience to God. Verse 13a, it says, But rejoice as so far as you share in Christ's suffering. Since the Lord empowers us with his spirit to endure fiery trials, Let's see what he is calling us to do in the midst of those trials. One of the things that he wants us to do during suffering is to not be surprised, but instead to rejoice. Rejoice in what? We are called to rejoice insofar as we share in Christ's suffering. That means as our sufferings for Christ increase, our joy ought to also increase. Why? Because our suffering increases our joys in Jesus. If we suffer for him, it indicates to us that we are his and we share in his sufferings. Then can, then can we know that we will also share in his glory. The road that Jesus traveled was the path of suffering. And the path of suffering leads to the destination of glory. Likewise, Christians are to walk the same path that Jesus walked. That same path is marked with suffering. And trials. We can be sure, though, that if we walk the same path Jesus walked, we will arrive to the same destination that Jesus arrived to. It's sort of like a marriage. A husband cannot suffer without the wife sharing in some way or another the same sufferings of that husband and vice versa. The bride of Christ is so united to Jesus that we will share in the sufferings of Christ. Just as Christ was persecuted, just as Christ was killed, just as Christ was uh, attacked and slandered, so will the church walk that same path and experience those things. The church, we can be sure that if Christ suffered all those things and received glory thereafter, we who follow him will receive the same glory. That is why we rejoice, because we know that he will make all things right. Therefore, we are also called to have spirit-empowered hope. Spirit-empowered hope, in verse 13b, it says that when his glory is revealed, that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Peter redirects our hope to the glory to be revealed. We set our hope in the glory that is coming. This means that Christians who endure suffering are not to set their hopes in the relief of that suffering in and of itself, but in the glory that will soon be revealed when Christ returns. The whole earth will be filled with the glory of God, and this is something that the Christian can anticipate and does anticipate. 
When the glory is revealed at the return of Christ, we will taste of the joy that will be worth every suffering that we have endured on this side of heaven. As we wait and continue to endure suffering, we are also called to love our neighbors. Verse 15. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. As we heard in a sermon last week, we are called by God to love one another. We are not only called to love one another, but also the world. Christians should not suffer for doing evil. In verse 15, we are commanded to not suffer for, what is, for doing what is unloving or immoral to other people. Instead of Peter here giving us a long list of what we should not do, Peter gives us four things. He says, let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, evildoer, and as a meddler. The list goes from greatest degree of sin that one can do towards another person, murdering, all the way down to the least, meddling. Peter is covering everything in between. They are a list from great wrong to least wrong, with murderers at the top of our list, <coughs> and meddler at the bottom. This is supposed to cover any and everything in between. We love our neighbors by being good citizens in this world. We love our neighbors by, instead of murdering, we bless, and we give life to that around us, right? We do the opposite of what is evil. We do what is good in our society. We love our neighbors by being good citizens in this world. This is a good warning because it is far easier for us as Christians to suffer for sin than it is to suffer for Christ. We should examine any time that we suffer or are suffering if we are truly suffering for the name of Jesus or if we're truly suffering for being unloving to other people. This is a good warning to me. Um, I don't know if any of you went through your K-State uh, Calvinism phase, but <laughs> I had mine. And uh, in this K-State, right, this is when you firly first encounter the doctrines of grace, and you are passionate about it. You want to share it with everyone. Everyone's a heretic. That <laughs> and, and everyone needs saving. And so in this case stage that I went through, I was a complete jerk. Um, sharing the truth about God in an unloving way. And many times after these situations where I'm trying to convince someone of Calvinism, I would go home and be like, man, it's hard being a Christian. <laughs> man, people are really persecuting me for the faith. This is how Paul must have felt. <laughs> Oftentimes, when Christians suffer, sometimes when Christians suffer, we suffer not for being a Christian, but more so for being mean, hurtful, unkind, and unloving. So, it's good for us to examine any time we are suffering 
if we are truly suffering for the sake of Christ. You are not suffering for Jesus if someone reviles you for being nosy. You are not suffering for Jesus if you got fired because you were insubordinate to your boss. As Christians, we are to love unbelievers by not doing evil and instead by doing good to others. Let us not Christianize our suffering when the means of that suffering is brought to us because of our unrighteousness. Because if we are to suffer, let us do it with praise to God in a manner that glorifies God. So therefore, we go to verse 16, spirit and power exaltation. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. We are called to not be ashamed for being a Christian, just like if we, we read earlier in Romans 1.16, right? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation to those who believe, for the Jew first and then the Greek. We are to not be ashamed of being a Christian, but instead to glorify God in the name of Christ. What does it mean to glorify God in the name of Christ? To glorify God in the name of Jesus means to praise God that we get to bear the name of Christ. Another thing it means is it also means to live a life demonstrating that praise in Jesus. The Christian is not ashamed to suffer for the name of Christ because they recognize that it is a great privilege to bear that name and to suffer for Jesus. The sufferings endured is the purifying fire to make us holy. So to glorify God simply means to praise him, to praise him in the midst of suffering, to thank him that we are privileged enough to suffer for the name of Christ. We thank him because it is the purifying fire that makes us holy. Which leads to the second point, which is submitting to the purposes of God and suffering, verses 17 and 18. For it is time for the judgment to begin at the household of God. As Christians, we submit to the purposes of God and suffering because we recognize that it is the judgment of God amongst his people. Peter does not mean judgment in the sense of condemnation since it would contradict what he said earlier, which is Christians are not suffering for evil, but instead they are suffering for bearing the name of Christ. But instead, the word judgment should be understood as a term that brings a good and bad assessment. It is an assessment. This sort of assessment will either bring the approval of God or his discipline among his people. Here we have the judgment of God began with his house. If you remember, in the Old Testament, the house of the Lord was the temple. The house of God is the temple of the Lord. In the New Testament, the dwelling place of God is not a building, but it is now in his people. We are each a stone that is a part of the greater house of God, which is the church. Therefore, the judgment must start with the house of God. God is the builder of this house and its inspector. He will refine what needs to be refined in order that his house can contain his glory. We see him make this promise in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1 through 4. It says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his people. 
and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner fire and like a fuller stove. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. And so we submit to the purposes of God in suffering, for his purpose is to make us holy and living stones. We, see this, we saw this earlier in our series in Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. So, which leads us to our second point, under the um, submitting to the purposes of God, which is the judgment of God to those who disobey the gospel, 17b. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? This speaks of two things, the order and flow of the judgment, and two, the impossibility of being saved apart from the gospel. The order of judgment. The path of the purifying fire of the Lord begins with his house and then stretches out to anyone else. The fire that sanctifies his church will also be the same fire that will purify the world. The church will be assessed first and then purified. The church can endure the refining fire because it rests on the cornerstone, which is Christ. But what does the world rest on? What does it depend on? On what does it entrust itself to? Will it be able to endure the purifying fire of the Lord? No, it will not. This is why we are told of the impossibility of being saved apart from the gospel. No one found outside of Christ will be able to endure the purifying fire of the Lord. As Christians, we submit to the refining fire of the Lord in this life, knowing that we will receive the glory to come. The unbeliever does not have this certainty. The only certainty that you have is that it is impossible to be saved apart from the gospel. If you are not a Christian, abandon the defiled stones that you are using to build a temple for yourself and for your idols. Come to Jesus as the cornerstone that the builders rejected. Come to him and become his holy and living stones, his royal priesthood. You can receive this by repenting of your sins and turning to Jesus in faith. Believe that he came down to earth and lived the life that you could not live on your behalf. He died the death that you deserved. He was raised from the dead and on the third day is now seated on the right hand of God. This is the only way you will be saved. There is no other way to be saved. 
There's no other way. The impossibility of being saved apart from the gospel. There will be nothing, anything that the unbeliever places his trust in here on this world will not test, will not pass the test of the fire of the Lord on that day of judgment. Everyone's faith will be tested. Our faith now is tested on this side of heaven. But whatever the unbeliever places faith in will be tested on the day of judgment. Whatever the hope the unbeliever placed his hope in will be tested on the day of judgment. And it will not fail. Therefore, so far we have seen how we can rejoice in the glory of God and suffering and how to submit to the purposes of God and suffering. Now we will go to my final point, and that is entrusting ourselves to the faithfulness of our creator. Point three. Entrusting ourselves to the faithfulness of our creator, verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. In order for us to entrust ourselves to the faithfulness of our creator while doing good, we must first look to the faithfulness of our creator to Christ and his suffering. In verse, verses 12, 19, we have seen Peter refer to the Lord as God. You see, it says, do not be surprised uh, at the fire trial when it comes upon you. And then further it says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And then later he says God, and later he used the word God, God, until finally here at verse 19, it says, faithful creator. Faithful creator. This is encouraging. It is saying that any suffering that we may go through is not meaningless or random, but instead all the suffering that we endure for the sake of Jesus is according to God's will. This brings me comfort personally because that means that God is sovereign over my suffering, just as he was suffering, sovereign over the sufferings of Jesus. The suffering of Jesus did not surprise God in any way. In Acts chapter 4, verse 24 through 28, we see the sovereignty of God in the sufferings of his people, and most importantly in Christ. Verse 24, it says, And when they heard it, they lifted their voice together and said, Sovereign Lord. So this verse is in light of being persecuted. The church is being persecuted. And they pray, and they say, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, faithful creator, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of this earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, and the people of Israel to do whatever your sovereign hand, whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This is a prayer that Peter's making in the book of Acts. In this passage in 1 Peter 4.19, we see that the sufferings of Jesus were in the plans of God to bring about joy that was set before Jesus. The faithful creator used what men meant for evil, for the good, 
of Christ. Not only for his good, but for ours also. Jesus was the only one that did the will of God perfectly. He was the only one who entrusted himself all the way to a faithful creator while obeying him. In Philippians 2, 8, it says that Christ was obedient to God even to the point of death. And why did he do this? He did this because he loves you. He suffered and endured suffering for his love for you. In Hebrews, it says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What was the joy that was set before him? It was to accomplish the plans and purposes his father designed for him and the bringing about our salvation. Since God was faithful in Christ, we can be sure that he will be faithful to us and our suffering. The faithfulness of our creator and our suffering. God is, sovereign, is the sovereign creator of this world. There is no suffering that the Christian can endure that is not under his sovereign control. When Job suffered and he wondered why he was suffering, he asked many questions in the book of Job. And one of the, and when finally God responds from the whirlwind, whirlwind, and his response is, were you there when I laid the foundations of the world? Can you bind up Leviathan? Are you the faithful creator? Do you have the wisdom to understand this? God appeals to him being a faithful creator. But we have something that Job did not have. We have the sufferings of Christ in light of the New Testament and the promises that come because of Christ and his complete work. We can trust because God is our faithful creator. He is wise enough to ordain all things. In Romans 8.28 we are comforted that our faithful creator uses all things for our good. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for our good, for those who are called according to his purpose. We see it perfectly in the life of Jesus, and if he was faithful to Jesus, we can be sure that he will be faithful to us. The sufferings we endure will not destroy us, but strengthen us. It will bless us. It will sanctify us. Because we believe in a God who uses the wickedness of men for the goodness of his people. Let's pray. Dear Father, we live in a world that hates you, does not love your law does not love your truth, does not love your son. And so we are, we, are, we are here in this world, behind enemy lines. But just like you delivered Christ, you will deliver us also. You've said that you will not take us out of this world, but you will help us endure it. So Lord, I pray that you help us as we go out today and encounter sufferings for your name. I pray, God, that you help us to do so, rejoicing in your glory, submitting to your purposes, and entrusting ourselves to you as faithful creators. 
pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. sermons are released under a Creative Commons, non-commercial, no derivative 3.0 license. If you would like to learn more or listen to past sermons, please visit us at foundationfxbg.com. of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.